The reason I didn't know him and the reason that David Campbell does know him is that he's from Scotland. <laughs> and he went to New Guinea and, um, and just an unusual man. I, I am just fascinated with this man and, and what and what the Lord did with him and through him there in New Guinea in the 1800s. After 20 years, he came back to um, to England in 1887 or 85, 86, 87, somewhere in there to give a report. And, of course, the, the, the crowds were immense that uh, listened to him report on New Guinea. It was not uncommon for him to go on shore on a new island and for the women to climb up into the tree houses where they had bundles of spears and there were plenty of rocks. That's where the women and children went. The men came marching out to him. Understand, these are cannibals. Came marching out to him with their spears, and he would just nonchalantly walk through them, walk with them, and talk to them. And um, he was able to befriend them and win them, train native teachers that he sent to other islands. And basically, as you know, um, New Guinea became a, a British protectorate. And that was largely through the work of James Chalmers, their missionary activity. And another man by the name of Laws that worked with him. In fact, uh, Chalmers said, civilization cannot create civilization. But Christianity can create civilization. And that's what he um, believed and that's what he practiced. But uh, I don't know if the book is published. It's an old book. And and David Campbell gave it to me um, at our family conference last summer. And I just got around to start reading it, and it's um, it's just it's just fascinating. It's just just fascinating. So anyway, that's one way to get a vision for missions. Uh, I mean, you know, he was eating with men who just years before would say that the tastiest piece of meat you have is a man's breast, and now they're believers and preaching the gospel. That's the kind of ministry he had. But there are other books you can read, too. And I brought a stack with me from my own library just to um, <clears throat> mention. This one's all, I think, was, did uh, Jim mention this one? The Theology of Missions and the Puritan Tradition. I know Steve Graham was mentioning it yesterday. And um, it's a tome. Uh, Matt Foreman and Steve Graham are probably the only two here that have read the whole book. And Steve hadn't read it all yet, have you? But, but Matt has, and Matt wrote a review on it. Uh, but it's um, it's it's well, what's so good about this book. I mean, it talks about Richard Sibbs, Baxter, John Elliott, and who else here? Cotton Mather, Cotton Mather, Jonathan Edwards, and and shows their their theology of missions and the heart which they had for spreading the gospel. And I've not read the whole book. I've I've read sections of it and pursued other sections of it, but found it just very very helpful. Um, so. Okay. Okay. Thank you, Steve. Our in-house historian. And then Jim Adams mentioned this book, and I'm going to mention it again in the first part of my presentation, A Practical Theology of Missions by Eric Wright. And I think Jim said he was in school with him. Didn't he say that? I think so. But this is just a superb book. And I, I, David Vaughn is the one who recommended this book to me. I purchased it and, and read it and uh, underlined it 
and took notes on every single chapter in this book. Uh, it is it is just an excellent book. I I cannot commend this book highly enough to you. Um, and um, that's that's just fine. And then of course um, we'll we'll go to this one next. You all have Operation World, of course, and uh, use it. Uh, that this is um, what a storehouse of information it is. And then. Um, you see, my role in Allen Books came from a different generation, evidently, although we're about the same age. Uh, St. Paul's Missionary Methods. And, and I read these in seminary in probably between 66 and 69 when I was in seminary. And I took every missions course that was offered at the seminary where I went. I don't remember how many that there were of those, but there were several. And I took them all. And sadly to say, they were all electives in the seminary I went to, but they had them and they introduced me to Roland Allen. And so that's been the guiding principle for my thinking since my seminary days for the past. Well, you figure out the number of years. And the other book is Spontaneous Expansion of the Church. I actually like this one better. Some like this one better, but I like uh, the missionary methods better. And and the principles that he lays down when they're not followed. And we have some sad examples in our own movement are devastating. But when they are followed, it's, it's much, much better. Because it's Paul's methods. Um, then, two other books I want to mention. Well, Nate, Let the Nations Be Glad. You've all read Piper's book, I'm sure, and quoted it in your pulpits. Uh, William Carey and the Missionary Vision. That's also an excellent book that not only deals with his life, but also um, methods uh, of, of mission. This is Daniel Weber, Daniel Weber uh, on, on Carey. And then here's a book that I think every Reformed Baptist pastor should get and peruse, if not read it carefully. It's called When Charity Destroys Dignity. It's by Glenn J. Schwartz, uh, forward by Steve Saint. And um, this book will wean you away from giving too many dollars in the wrong way to the foreign field. And if it doesn't, it's because you didn't learn to read in first grade. <laughs> but um, it, is, uh, it, is, it is an excellent book, and I'll be referring to it as well. Uh, and, and, and this man lived it in Africa, as a missionary in Africa, and saw the damage that the American dollar did to the cause of Christ in Africa. Too much money given to the wrong way. Yeah, Glenn J. Schwartz, S-C-H-W-A-R-T-Z. It's published by, um, by their own organization called World Missions Associates in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Uh, close to where Carlisle is, of course, just an hour away. But it's, the subtitle is Overcoming Unhealthy Dependency in the Christian Movement, a Compendium. And, and he is wordy. I mean, he could have said the whole thing in, in half the pages, in my opinion. But nonetheless, it's, um, it's an excellent book. And then um, this one, I, don't, I read it so long ago, I don't know if it's any good, but I have it. It's, 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 it's On the Mission Field by... Melvin A. Hodges, The Indigenous Church. And again, it, it, it uh, is talking about the necessity of the indigenous. I must have thought it was good at the time because I've, I've got it all marked up in, in there. And then this one by Pioneers. Um, you know, um, 
we have a, there's a little, we're not really as an association co-opting with them, but we do have a man in a church who's co-opting with them and serving together. It's called a handbook for partnership. And it has some very helpful, helpful information in, in, in this book as well, Omissions. And then two more books. Uh, there's no author. Okay. It's just serving together a handbook for partnership. And it's from pioneers uh, from pioneers. And two more books, and one of them I haven't read yet. Uh, one of them I'll be referring to tomorrow afternoon extensively, actually. Uh, Serving as Senders Today by Neil Piola. I don't know how you say his name for sure. Emmaus Road International. But this is um, a very important book for a church that's going to send out a missionary. Um, the information, the principles that are given here, are, are just extremely helpful. And again, I, I think I've taken notes on every chapter in this book as well and have them on my computer. And then another book by the same man, also by Emmaus Road, is The Reentry Team, Caring for Your Returning Missionaries. And I did not realize until I read this book, and that's why I got The Reentry Team, what a severe problem exists for people, for men and families who return to the United States after they've served. And, um, and, and um, this is, because I haven't read this book yet, but you can see that because, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'll talk about that tomorrow afternoon as to why that's so important. Well, that's just the introduction to the introduction my session on cultivating a vision for missions. Um, I have two points that I want to cover uh, today, and I'm using just a little bit of PowerPoint um, because, um, because I can. I want us to remember that as we're cultivating a vision for missions, and we're talking about real people, this is Stan and Bev Line, and I think there's just something come up in red there, I hope. It did. 50 years of service in Columbia. 50, and it's this month, 50 years ago, this month, October, that Stan went out to Columbia. And he's going to, if he has his choice, he's going to die in Columbia. Uh, the reentry team, we don't need for Stan because he's not going to reenter <laughs> um, back in the United States. But what a, what a precious servant of God. And when I visited him a number of years ago, and Lord willing, Moraine and I will be visiting him again. Um, we leave October 31st to go to Columbia. I think that's just a week from tomorrow, maybe. Um, and uh, when I came back, I, I told everyone I have a new hero. My new hero is Stan Line, and how the Lord has used him. I get new heroes wherever I, wherever I visit missionaries, but it, it's nice to have heroes like that. Well, what I want to do is uh, the biblical warrant for cultivating a vision for mission in the local church. Now, I know that you all, as I do, believe that the Bible is our final authority and that what we, what we believe and what we do is, is directly related to the Holy Scriptures. And so, therefore, as I thought about this, I thought, is there a biblical warrant for promoting missions in the local church? And the first thing we need to know is that the Bible is a missionary book. In, Lu in, um, in this book, right here, if I can find it, The Practical Theology of Missions. Eric Wright says near, somewhere near the beginning of this book, something like this. 
I sound like the author of Hebrews, don't I? Uh, He says, if we go to the Bible and attempt to find uh, texts of Scripture that prove that we should be missionary minded, we have missed it entirely. Because the whole Bible is a missionary book. There is no proof texting for missions. Because the theme of the Bible is missions. And that's true, isn't it? Think about it. We don't have time to go through the whole Bible, but just think about it with me. Um, What do we find early on in the book of Genesis? Genesis chapter 3, what does God do? He searches out Adam and pulls him out from behind the bush. Now, that's missionary activity. And then we, we, we fast forward uh, to the time when the thoughts of men's hearts were only evil continually. And what does God do? He grants grace to Noah. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. How did he find grace? Because well, God gave him grace. We all know that. And so God sought out one man to save the entire human race. And then we fast forward again and we come to Genesis chapter 12. And what happens? God sought out one man. Our missionary God sought out one man, Abraham, and said through him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And then we can fast forward again and, to, and bring the 400 years and children of Israel come into the land. God gives them the land. The times of the judges. What does God do? God sends men, seeks out men, sends men to bring the message to the people so that they would repent. And we fast forward again. And we can come to um, the times of the prophets because the nation departed. So God sends prophets. And then we can think of, of Nineveh. What happens? God sends Jonah to Nineveh. He wasn't happy about it, of course, but he went. As the Lord would have him. And so the whole Bible, if we think of it correctly, what Eric Wright is saying is a missionary book. And that's a convicting thing. Are we preaching it as a missionary book? Because it is indeed a missionary book. Now, Let's think about the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. You know, there's a difference in the missionary method that God used in the old covenant people of Israel from what he's using today in the New Testament. How was it that evangelism and the propagation of God's glory was to happen in the Old Testament? Well, we have one example where it did happen as it was supposed to happen. And that's with Solomon. The nation of Israel was called to obedience, which, of course, they didn't obey, but they were called to obedience. And God promised them that if they obeyed, they'd be prospered and they would become a light to the nations. And in Solomon's day, that's exactly what happened. So that even the queen of Sheba, think of it, the queen, not the king, the queen of Sheba was overcome with the way that Solomon's servants handled themselves with the setting of the table, a queen overcome with the way that a man sets the table? Come on. That doesn't happen. But it happened in those days because God's blessing rested upon Solomon. And that's the way it was supposed to be throughout the old 
history of Israel. But now in the New Testament, there is a very great difference in the way that God has ordered missions. No longer does he give the church, contrary to the thinking of the Roman Catholic tradition, where they think that it's the collection of the gold and the silver and the ornate St. Peter's Cathedral in Rome. No, 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 no. The blessing now is persecution. And the blessing in persecution and the blessing is that we go out to reach the world, not that the world come in to see us. And that is a huge transition and difference. And so as we cultivate a vision for missions, we've got to understand that difference between Old Covenant Israel and the Church of Jesus Christ. And, and that is that we are to go out, as we know, Matthew chapter 28, verse, uh, verses 18 through 20, uh, teach us. And, of course, we have in the example of our Lord Jesus Christ, the greatest missionary and the greatest missionary endeavor that could ever occur uh, in his going out and meeting people. And, and, and think of the multitudes of ways in which he ministered, teaching, healing, uh, counseling, dealing individually, dealing with his disciples, teaching them, and, and, and all these ways that our Lord Jesus Christ ministered to the people. Well, what I want to do is look at some specific texts that show there is a warrant for promoting missions in the local church. And I'm going to draw some six principles. I'm only dealing with the New Testament. I'm not dealing with the Old Testament um, in, in these specific texts. Now, I'm not attempting to give you proof texts for missions. Rather, I am zeroing in on this particular narrow focus of specific texts which show that we need to, as pastors, uh, to be promoting missions in the local church. And um, I've, I've uh, did I tell you I've got six principles here? Oh, we got another missionary up here. Oscar Blois. And again, I want, us to, I want to remind you that we're, we're talking about promoting missions. We're talking, about, we're talking about real people. Real people. And here's another man who's labored for 50 years in Jamaica. And uh, this is just outside his home uh, there in uh, Kingston. In Kingston. Well, specific text. I'm going to, I'm going to direct your attention to texts which which suggest and teach and encourage us to report on missionary activity as it was done in the New Testament. As I was thinking through in the book of Acts and, and, and all that, that happened there with, with the Apostle Paul, I, I realized that reporting on missionary activity was a fundamental um, part of Paul's ministry. Acts chapter 14, verses 24 through 28. I'm going to read some of these verses. Verse 24. Now, when they had come and gathered the church. Well, I, I don't want to assume too much, but Acts chapter 14. This is at the end of Paul's first missionary journey. He's back to, at Antioch. And this is when we read these words. They gathered the church together. They reported all that God had done with them and that he had that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. What we read is Paul gathered the church. And then he gave a report. 
they took the initiative in gathering the church. And notice it says they reported all, all that the Lord had done for them. Now, what had happened during that first missionary journey? Well, there were four churches that were established. Antioch, Pisidia, Lystra, Derbe, and Iconium. And then there had been elders that had been raised up in each of these churches. There were other preaching points at Perga, Adelia. There were two preaching points on Cyprus, perhaps churches there. And we can infer that probably all these church, all these places had churches. So that means that there have been eight churches that have been established in the matter of about two years on Paul's first missionary journey. And he's, they said they reported on all that happened. That was one long service. Now, I have a feeling it took more than one time. But that was a long, long report. They reported all that had happened. And I want you to notice that they gathered the church. It was the gathered church. Now, let me ask you this question, because I know you're all good theologians. When did the church gather to worship? Aha, you know, don't you? Now, why do I emphasize that? I emphasize that because I have run into some people who seem to think that it's less than a worship service if there's a missionary report. And my friend, it is not. The Apostle Paul did it. Now, I can't, I'll acknowledge, I can't prove that they gathered on the Lord days, but you can't prove they didn't. You see. And, and, they, and they gathered, and there was this report. And, and I, would, I would just plead with you who are listening to me here in this room and those who may listen on the Internet to think about what the New Testament says and that there was a report on missions on the Lord's Day. Now, now in, in, in my travels, I am often asked to report in one of the worship services, never in a Lord's Day morning worship service, which I think is fine. Reserve that for preaching. But in other, other services, I'm asked to report, and, and, and I'm always happy to do that. But I, but I think that follows the New Testament pattern. The point is, if we're, going to, if we're going to promote missions, there needs to be reports of missions. And there was not only reports after the first missionary journey, there was also a continuing report after the second missionary journey. In Acts chapter 18, uh, verses 22 and 23, says, and when he had landed at Caesarea, that is Paul, and gone up and greeted the church, he went down to Antioch. And after he had spent some time there, he departed and went over to the region of Galatia and Phrygia in order and so forth. So then he started his third missionary journey. But the point is, he spent some time there. Now, Luke doesn't say that he reported to the church after the second missionary journey. But Luke knew that Reformed Baptist pastors are very bright. And Luke knew that Reformed Baptist pastors would have read that he reported after the first missionary journey so that we would assume that he reported after the second missionary journey. And we must assume that. We must assume that, of course. So that there was this report that was given again. And so the point that I'm attempting to make is that the church in Antioch was a mission-minded church, not only because they sent Paul out, but because they heard reports of what he had done 
And then after the second missionary journey, they heard reports again of what he had done. Uh, so that reporting is very important. So that in our churches, there must be regular reports of some form or another about missionary activity. And that's not hard to come by. Um, if, we're, if we're alert, there's, we, we've got the missionary prayer focus. We've got the quarterly update. We've got the, the letters that the missionaries send. Um, there can be regular reports given to the churches. So um, that's, my, that's my first point, my first appeal. Second principle. This, I, I think, is very instructive for us. You know, sometimes in churches there are theological controversies. It sometimes even happens in Arbka. So what do we do with theological controversy? Well, we can get mad at each other, which is not a good thing because that violates the principle of love. That is, um, <clears throat> that is um, fundamental to how the world knows that we are Christians. Or we can do with theological controversy what the early church did with theological controversy. And that is what I see as you can see up there, turn theological controversy into a platform for further missionary activity. And this is exactly what happened in the early church. You know the theological controversy, don't you? It was a very serious one. Do you have to be circumcised in order to be a Christian if you're a Gentile? And they went to Jerusalem. They had the Jerusalem Council. And um, James spoke. Peter spoke, Paul spoke, and the church decided. But then what happened? Okay, we've got our theology straight. Was that the end of it? Oh, no, that was not the end of it, was it? Because after, after all this happened, we read that um, in, in Acts 15, 30 to 35, verse 40, in verse 30 it says, So when they went, were sent off, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. Now, what were they encouraged about? Now, remember, this was a church that had already heard Paul report about the first missionary journey, about the eight churches that had been planted, about the elders that had been raised up, and not what they knew was that this theological controversy was a controversy which, if Paul was wrong, would mean that everything he had done on the first missionary journey was nil and void. But then they get the letter and they are encouraged. That may be an understatement. They might have been exuberant. They might have been dancing in the aisles for all we know. But they were encouraged. Because they knew now that everything that happened under Paul's ministry um, with Paul and Barnabas and, and how they had sent him out had been now approved and was indeed the real, the real deal. And so they knew now that the message of the gospel could spread freely amongst the Gentiles. They thought missionally. They thought about missions. They thought about what God was doing. And they were encouraged because of that. So it is, um, it is a lesson for us. And I'm, I, what I'm doing here is a principle. Every theological controversy that we face, we must begin to think, how does this apply 
to the missionary endeavor. If all that happens is we solve the theological problem and then pat ourselves on the back that we've got the truth, I think we've missed something. I think what we need to do is go a step further and say, how does this impact the spread of the gospel? And, and to move on from that. And then there was also um, Judas and Silas, you remember, went to Antioch with them. And they, stood, they were there strengthening the saints with many words. And then in verse 33 of Acts 15, it says, And after they had stayed there for a little while, they were sent back with greetings from the brethren to the apostles. That is, sent back to Jerusalem. So here they were, went back to Jerusalem. What do you suppose they reported? I think I know what they reported. There's a strong church in Antioch, and we heard more about all of the missionary activity of Paul and how the Gentiles are being reached. And that would have further alleviated the tension that existed between the Jews and the Gentiles about spreading the gospel. That's my opinion. But in a lecture, I can give my opinion. But I want you to think about it. Think about it at least. So, theological. Let, let, let me make another application. You know, we are a confessional group of, of a Baptist. Um, that's like saying Cleveland is a city. You know, it, who, needs, who needs to be informed of that if they know anything about Arca? We are, we are confessional. And, and furthermore... The confession is very important to our churches. And furthermore, probably almost all of our churches, at some point or another, to some extent or another, teach from the confession in Sunday school or preaching. That, that's good. That's good. Um, but you know, there's a danger here. The danger is this, that we teach the confession Teach the confession, teach the confession, teach the confession, and get everything theologically right and miss the point of the Bible, and that is the world needs to be reached with God's truth. If we teach the confession, let's make missionary application at every single chapter of the confession. That would be my plea, that we do that. And that way, promote missions in our churches. Well... Oh, we're talking about real people here when we talk about missions. Caroline wasn't there when we visited France in 2012. She's, in, um, she's taking her master's degree now, I understand. So, um, but this is Jonathan and Michelle, David and Nikki, and they are a lovely family. Uh, we, we just immensely enjoyed being with them uh, over, there, over there in France. By the way, you can find all these pictures on our website if you want to you're welcome to download them and use them in your church and let people know that when you're promoting missions, you're talking about real people. That's perfectly legitimate. Um, a third principle that I, that I gleaned, and that is answer criticism of cross-cultural work by, on the one hand, standing by principle and, on the other hand, by being culturally sensitive. Now, you know, there were some... Um, cross-cultural difficulties in the early church. And that arose when um, Peter 
ate with Cornelius. And the folks in Jerusalem were wondering about the propriety of that. And so Peter had to come back and give the report. And um, so, so he did. Um, and they, they accepted Peter's report, of course. Um, the Jews wondered about the gospel going to another culture. But that was answered. Now, we may say, well, we don't have that problem today. Well, don't kid yourselves. In our churches, there will be many people who have a problem with cross-cultural work. You know how it's probably going to arise? Let's be very blunt and very frank. You know what? If you go over to name the country, Japan, Africa, with your family, and you raise your children there, and they get old, and, the, and as they get older, and it comes time for them to date and to marry, who are they going to marry? What's behind that question? Well, you know what's behind that question. And it needs to be answered like um, somebody just told me recently, someone who said, I wish I could remember these things, when he was asked this question, well, what are you going to do when your children are over there in Africa? And they grow up. And, they're, and, they're, and, and they may want to marry a black person. And the fellow stood up. He says, better to marry someone from Africa than to marry a heathen, unconverted person in the United States. And that's right. Uh, by the way, read John Piper's book, Bloodlines. It's his repentance for his, for his, for his racism in his youth. He, was, he, was, he grew up in uh, South Carolina. And um, it is, um, again, I, in my opinion, Piper could have written it in fewer words, but all, it, it's still worth reading. It's still worth reading. And, and you can get it on Kindle. That's where I read it. I read it on Kindle while I was on the airplane a couple, three times. So, uh, but, but, but do read that. So uh, answer this criticism. Understand that the gospel goes to whom? To every tribe, nation, language, and tongue. And remember, call these people to remember the songs they learned in Sunday school. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white. Part black, part white, part yellow, part red, whatever. He loves them all. And so we need to, uh, we, we need to remember that. And, and this happened in the early church. That they came to understand that um, they, they glorified the Lord because of what the Lord had done. Um, the um, in, in doing that, um, I'm watching the clock here. Let's move on to a. Was that the third one? Okay, let's move on to four. Emphasize the need to reach unreached people groups. And we find that in the New Testament. Romans 15, 17 through 24. Paul says, Therefore, I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus for the things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me 
in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient. In mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about to Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Now listen to this, and you know this verse. And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. And then he gives his proof text from the Old Testament. To whom he was not announced, they shall see. And those who have not heard shall understand. For this reason, I have also been much hindered from coming to you. So I couldn't come to Rome because the gospel is already there. But I can come to Rome now because Rome is on my way to Spain. And so just because it happens to be on the way to Spain, I can come to Rome and visit you. Now, he visited Rome in a way he didn't expect to visit Rome, of course. But he did visit Rome. And so, uh, Paul was committed to missions of reaching unreached people groups. And, and, and this must be emphasized in our churches if we're going to cultivate a vision for mission. And again, that's where we come to Operation World. Uh, David Vaughn alerted me to this in, in an email I, I gave to him a couple of years ago. But um, he said one of the things that we need to emphasize is reaching unreached people groups. And India, India is, is off balance. The south of India has a large number of evangelical professing Christians. The south part. The north, and especially the northwest part, is largely unreached. Just unreached. And, and there are other areas that are unreached as well. And uh, I think we could talk more about, about this kind of thing when we talk about a strategy for missions. But uh, there comes a point, in my opinion, where we need to pull missionaries out of a country. Let them be indigenous. And... And let, let, let's go to places that, that, that haven't heard yet. That haven't heard the name of Jesus. Um, maybe some places in the United States like that. So emphasize the need to reach unreached people groups. And then number five. Oh, here we've got a family up there whose name I cannot mention. But uh, they are involved in reaching an unreached people group, and we thank the Lord for them as they as they do that. Number five. Now we get to number five. Lead the church in becoming personally acquainted with the missionaries and those they are reaching. One of the surprising things is is Romans sixteen. Many of you have preached through Romans. What did you do with Romans 16 when you preached it? It is one of the most important missionary texts in the Bible. And I'll tell you why I think that. I think that because Paul is greeting all these people. Do you know that there are some churches that would not think it's very spiritual to talk about People in their worship services? People who have been created in the image and likeness of God and people who are laboring for the gospel and to mention some of the specific personal things about them. And yet Paul, in writing inspired scripture, says, Greet Adronicus, whoever in the world he is. 
He says, he's my countrymen and my fellow prisoners who are of note. Greet Urbanus and our fellow workers in Christ and so forth. And all these people, we don't even know who they are. But if, and I haven't done this, but if we were to memorize their names, it would help us much when we get to heaven. <laughs> oh yes, I remember reading about you. I remember reading about you. So you see, um, we need to emphasize, we, we, need to, we need to leave the church and becoming personally acquainted. There's just all kinds of people who are laboring in the gospel. And, and, and mention them by name in our reports, in our services, and, and so forth. And, and in this way, this way we can cultivate more of a vision. Because you see, most people are not so esoteric as we pastors are. I mean, we can live in the ivory power of, of theology and just be enraptured. Well, you know, there's not a whole lot of people like that. I mean, they're in the, they're in the, they're digging their ditches, they're plumbing, they're doing electrical work. The mothers are taking care of their kids. But if you name some children of the missionaries and ask them to pray for these children as the missionaries would ask us, they say, oh, that strikes a string in their heart. And, and I can't help but think when, when, when Paul wrote this letter and, he, and they got all these greetings, they thought, this man loves us. This love, this man who is the greatest logician, at least that's my opinion. I mean, you, you, you studied Paul, haven't you? And you, you, read his, you read him and you see his logic and think, wow, this guy, he just, his mind, the way it works. And yet, he talks about people. And, and we need to lead our people uh, to be personally acquainted with missionaries. And then number six. Get reports from any who have visited a missionary field. You know, you may have people in your church who travel. I know a man who does more international travel than the coordinator and his wife. And visits more missionaries over the course of a, of a few years than the coordinator and his wife. I hope he doesn't make a pest of himself in doing it. I don't think he does. But he visits. He knows a lot of missionaries. And, and I think, what a treasure it would be if I had a man like that in my church. I'd tell you what I would do. I'd say, hey, brother, tell me about this. I'd probably have to give him a time limit because he might want to go a couple of hours. We all understand human nature, okay? But nonetheless, is, is there any warrant for doing this in the New Testament? Well, listen to these verses. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 21. Paul says, but you but that you also may know my affairs and how I am doing, Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you. So Paul's saying, I can't tell you, but Tychicus can. He's traveled. He's met me. Let him talk to you. Um, and so here he is reporting on Paul's work. And, and pastors and churches ought to be most willing to hear from people who have visited missionaries in other places. And again in Colossians 4.7, Tychicus, a beloved brother, he seems to be the favorite traveler here, a faithful minister and fellow servant of the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances. And I know this may not be a, a, a correct one-to-one a, a -one analogy, but, but I think that the idea is 
that there was a man who could come and report about Paul, even though Paul couldn't be there. And by the way, the coordinator of Arbka does visit missionaries, and he is excited and anxious to come to your churches and to tell you about his trips. He even has PowerPoints. And I think, this is my opinion, that Paul would have used PowerPoint if he would have had it. <laughs> I mean, if he talks about people, I think he would have shown them pictures and uh, so forth. So that, 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 that is my opinion. Well, the point that I'm making is the scriptures do indicate or emphasize the importance of promoting missions in the local church and cultivating a mission, a vision for missions in the local church. Now, there's, um, there's some others here that I want to remind us that we're just talking about real people. Uh, you, you know Ramon and Deanne in, um, up there in Quebec and the wonderful things which the Lord has done through him and uh, Daniel and Lorraine in Montreal ministering the Word of God and then practical suggestions. What are some of the concrete ways that missions may be promoted in the local church? Well, what I've done, I thought it would be nice to have an A through Z of suggestions. And so I got a ways down the list. And then, um, here we go. And then I contacted all of our missionaries and two were kind enough. We can probably turn the lights back up uh, now. And David Vaughn and Michael Amati responded to my plea and um, helped me to do this. Now, so I not only got A through Z, but I got A through Z plus double A and double B. So uh, that, um, that, that is what you see. Now, I could read down through all of these. But I think what I would like to do is just maybe highlight them, uh, a few of them. Does everyone have a copy? I think I made, I know I made 31. I asked Vicki to make 30 and she said she made an extra one. So, so that was good. But the, these, are, these are things that I've seen happen or others have seen happen. Uh, ways that you can keep missions before, before your local church. Uh, a is the, the conference, the missionary conference. And I think, now I may be wrong on this because I don't know for sure, but I think that the idea of a missionary conference is going out of vogue. Um, not in every place, but it seems to be in some places it is. Um, you know, there's a church in Ohio, in Westchester, Ohio, that has had the uh, RBMS slash ARBCA coordinator every year for 21 years at their missionary conference, save for one year. And that was the year that David Straub was sick and couldn't go. They aren't an ARBCA church, um, but uh, they certainly do have a heart for missions. And you don't have to have the ARBCA coordinator to have a missionary conference, not by any means. But some special emphasis. Now, now I've been pleading for, for mission emphasis throughout the year and in the regular ministry of the church. But still, it's, it's important to highlight these things. And we can't lay it down as a rule. You don't have to preach about the incarnation at Christmas if you don't want to. You don't have to preach about the resurrection on Easter if you don't want to. 
but probably most of you do. I remember one year at Sycamore, I didn't preach on the incarnation at Christmas. And uh, a man came to me. He was really confused. He, he I mean, you know, that, you know what? Why, why didn't you preach about the reincarnation? I thought, well, you know what? I'm never going to let that happen again. The poor guy didn't listen to what I had to say because his mind was going in that direction. So it's good to emphasize those things. Um, the, um, I mentioned some particular churches here and what they have done, and you can, you can read those uh, as to what they do. Um, use of Operation World. You know, the King's Chapel, which is the one that in Westchester, you know that every single Lord's Day morning, they have a man give a brief, succinct summary of one nation in the world and then he prays for them. And I, I've seen it done now. I think I've been there five times in a row for five years. And he's, he, he does it very well. I mean, it doesn't take very long. It's not much time. Probably a total of three or four minutes, maybe five at the most, for the, for the report and the prayer. And, and so this, this tiny little congregation is aware of the nations of the world. I don't know how long it takes them to get through. You do 52 a year, uh, 50, 52 a year, and there's how many nations? It'd take a while, but at least uh, something like that is done. I think, that's an, I think that's an excellent practice. I never did it in the church I pastored, but um, I should have. Missionary letters. You all know about that. The, the flip chart, Grace Fellowship Bremen keeps that up to date for us. We're thankful for them. And then one, one, one especially heartwarming experience that we had was visiting the church in Asheville. And we went in and we set up the display, which you see out here, and all the children gathered around Raina. And, and they said, oh, we know them. We know them. We know them. We know who they are. Because Mary Alice had used that flip chart in her Sunday school class of these young children. And every Sunday, she'd talk about one of these missionaries before she taught the lesson. And say something about them. So these little children knew all the missionaries. And they knew us. They said, well, there you are. There you are. <laughs> and uh, that was just so heartwarming. And I thought, a simple little thing like that uh, is, uh, is wonderful. Women's prayer groups, perhaps some of you have that. Men's prayer breakfast. When, I'm, when I go to Macon, I really have to bone up. I mean, because the, these guys know as much about our missionaries as I do. So I've got to try to find out something new <laughs> when I go to Macon. Because they, uh, they, 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 I think they meet monthly, I think, is what they do for their men's prayer breakfast. Um, mission applications, your sermon, GH. Short-term missions. Um, I was in a church in South Cincinnati and for a missionary conference. And I was, um, they, they do short-term missions. They do it every year, twice a year actually. But they go to the same place two times a year, every year. And they do the same thing. They're, they're, they have a, we stayed with the dentist and he goes down to do dental work for this poverty-stricken area in Mexico, I believe it is. And then there are other things that they help this, this church with. 
But what was very gratifying was I had two or three young people come up to me and say, I want to serve the Lord as a missionary. I've been down there. I've seen this. And I just want to, I want to serve Christ this way. I want to give myself that way. And, and short-term missions has some potential great difficulties, which we need to be aware of. But that church was doing it, it seemed to me, doing it very, very, very well and, and very, very correctly. And, and so, and I was just, uh, and these were, these were like college age or late high school age that, uh, that were speaking that way to me. Got to be careful of dependency. Uh, and that's where I want to mention this book again. Um, and I should tell you the story in there, but this is, this is perhaps the most memorable story of a team that went to Africa that Schwartz mentions to build the church for the Africans. They built the church, handed the key to them, and left. Five years later, they got the letter, as I detail here, from the church and said, would you please send your team over because the roof in your building is leaking. <laughs> Don't build buildings for people. They can build their own buildings. You can help them. You can help them, I suspect. But, but see, it wasn't their building. It was somebody that built it for them. And, and so they didn't need that building. It was a building that met Western standards, but not African standards. We, we need to be culturally sensitive. We, we don't know everything there is to know in the United States. We don't know how much we don't know. We don't know how arrogant we are many times. And um, we, 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 we must, when we go to another culture, take the position of a learner. I was asked when I was in the Far East um, this question by a group of house pastors. They said, uh, or they, they, they made the comment. They said, well, we look at the American church, we think you are so strong. Such a strong church. I said, you know what, theologically we are. Because they've been hearing Reformed Baptist guys teach all the time. I said, Theo, I said you know, we're very weak. I said, we, aren't, we don't have near the strength of you guys. And you've been willing to suffer. And I'd heard their stories, 13 stories. You've been willing to suffer. You've been willing to... to Continue on in the gospel in spite of the difficulties. And um, we, we have a significant percentage less evangelical churches in the United States if we were facing what they faced, I, I think. I think it's very possible. So um, we, we, we must be learners. Sunday School Missions, Grace Baptist Carlisle did a quarter on some of the great missionaries, biographies. I think I did four of them. And uh, there were nine others that were done. Young people were included in that. That, that's, that was a wonderful idea. Um, Jay, um, in your Sunday school youth groups, keep missionaries in front of them as well. Kay had a pastor go on a missionary trip. You're all in favor of that, aren't you? I hope. But that, that can be very helpful. You come back, you can report to the church, but be careful when you report. <laughs> I went on a trip and I came back and they were certain I was going to leave and go to that field. Um, 
And so when I finally did leave to take this position, I had one lady come and says, you know, I'm really not surprised. Ever since you came back from the Far East, which had been um, eight years before that, I just figured you weren't going to stay with us. <laughs> so be careful. Don't get too exuberant. Um, L, write letters, but if you do this, tell them that you don't expect the missionary to, to respond. The missionaries are busy, and they can respond, but they're just newsy letters. Special projects, uh, this is, um, we, we, we vote on special projects every year. We have $40,700, and by the way, I just sent out a letter to you pastors. Did you get it? I wrote the letter in the morning. And said, money has been slow coming in. By the afternoon, I said, oh, we've got some money. So Vicki says she likes to go to the mailbox when that happens, <clears throat> when money comes in. So special projects. Um, and emphasize those in the church. Now, the missionary prayer focus, print those in your church and give them to your people. Encourage them to use it. It's a wonderful tool. The quarterly update. We've had to go to online or and now we don't publish it and send it out in hard copy like we used to. But uh, you are certainly welcome to, to print it and hand it out to your people. And that can be a great encouragement to them. Videos. Uh, I intend to do brief videos. I am not as technologically savvy as some of these younger guys are here. Um, but um, we hope, I hope that I can get them up. I actually have a couple of videos on Vimeo right now that I'm trying to embed on the site and then I got busy with other things. Um, PowerPoint presentations. I've spent hours on how to do a PowerPoint presentation and add my audio to it. Totally unsuccessful. I, successful. I went to a man in, who is very technologically savvy in Carlisle and he showed me how to do it. And he said, oh, that doesn't work either. But someday we'll figure that out. Um, and then S, let me talk about this one. You know, I hope that uh, many of you regularly visit your, your members on a regular basis. Uh, when I was a pastor, I visited every family in the church every year. It's a taxing, tiring, but, but profitable um, occupation. And I, and, I, and I thought as I was going through this, what a wonderful thing it would be, and I didn't do this, but just to, when you're with a family, mention a missionary. And then I'd always ask the family, do you have prayer requests that you want me to pray for? And they give various things. And they say, you know, I also want to pray for David Vaughn or Oscar Blois. And, and tell them just a little bit about his work. So that that's another way of communicating um, the desire for missions to them. And then um, a newsletter. If you have a newsletter, include something about missions. You can phone a missionary during a prayer meeting, put him on the PA system. Some of you guys, some of you young guys, that's no problem for you at all. You could probably show his face and everything. Some of us older guys, we just got to learn to punch the right buttons in order to be able to do it. And then we can figure it out as well. And then use one of the Ark of Chaplains um, as for a weekend ministry. James Gallion has offered to do this. And... Uh, he would be. He would bless. He would. He would bless you very, very much because our, our chaplains are really um, missionaries. Don't ever use that term when you're talking to the Air Force. The, the M word is off limits. 
But it doesn't matter. That's what they're doing. So um, you, can, you can use them. And then um, special prayer meeting for missions on a regular basis. And here's what David Vaughn suggested. He said once a month since... Uh, since they did have a Sunday evening service, they scheduled this prayer meeting. One of the men prepared and presented a short description of two countries using Operation World and any other resources he could find. After the presentation of those two countries, which took about 20 minutes, we prayed for those two countries and any missionaries we knew there. I imagine that during those years, we must have learned about and prayed for 60 or so countries. It was an interesting meeting and eye-opening for the French Christians who tend to think of themselves as the mission field. So um, that's, that's a good suggestion. Um, then X, have unreached people groups presented for prayer once a month at the regular prayer meeting. Um, and I think this came from David Vaughn too, as I recall. The Joshua Project website, he suggests. Have a missionary book table in the foyer of a church uh, that has missions emphasis. You can encourage fathers to read to their families. And this also came from David Vaughn. Tom Wells, A Vision for Missions, um, is an excellent, excellent book for that. And I think somewhere in here, David, you mentioned um, um, the object. Yes, the last sentence. The object is a stir not to bog the ordinary layman down in intellectual or theological concerns. Don't suggest that your fathers read the theology of missions and the Puritan tradition <laughs> to their children. You read it. <laughs> um, then send a care package two or three times a year. Michael and Mahdi suggested this. Um, I've heard horror stories about care packages um, on, on two scores. One is, uh, this was years and years ago, a missionary said that they, they were sent a care package and they went down and they had to pay customs on it. They opened it up and guess what was in it? Used tea bags. Really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, when I told me that, when the missionary told me that, I said, no, I thought that was just an apocryphal story. He said, no, it really happened to me. <laughs> well, I know you wouldn't do that. But, 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 but even if you send things which are needed, make sure that it doesn't cost them an arm and a leg to get out of customs. Uh, that's because that's just something you've got to be sensitive about. So be very, very careful about that. Make sure you contact them. Make sure they need it. And make sure that if you want to send them the $200 it takes to get the, the four or five used tea bags out of customs, fine. Go ahead and do it, you know. <laughs> peanut butter. You have a story about peanut butter today? We'll, we'll hear it here in a minute. Okay, then double A, use Skype or FaceTime a few times. I always have to put FaceTime in there because I'm a Mac guy, see. So uh, you use that. Um, that's for Michael Amati. And, and I offer here, we have go-to meeting now that we, that we pay for uh, for ARBCA. Uh, we, we found that we were paying about $1,500 a year for our conference call lines, for our conference calls. We build it back to the churches. But go-to meeting is both video and audio as long as you have high-speed Internet. And it's only costing us $400 a year for that. And, and I am very willing for you, if you want to use that with your missionary, to use it, um, as long as it doesn't conflict with any other meetings we have. I mean, it's available 24-7. We could use it 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It doesn't cost us more than 
And the only thing is, here's the one bad downside of it. I will give you the login info. And when you log in as the organizer, you're going to appear as Gordon Taylor. And the only way we can avoid that is if you're willing to pay an extra $50 a month for 12 months. So, you know, you have to, you have to just live with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then double B per Michael Amati, um, intentionally having people give up vacations of visit. And I just added the caution again that make sure that they're never a burden to the missionary. So when, when they do that.